Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello, welcome to Horrors Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. And today is going to be our first hodgepodge episode. So basically, we have a bunch of random shit we're going to talk about. We have some upcoming TV shows that are horror-related that we're going to be talking about. We have um, some follow-ups from last week's discussions about Wayne Bowden and Daniel Gonzalez. We have some more 2020 horror movies that are going to be coming out. Don't give it all away. Well, we'll just stay tuned. But um, <laughs> So first, Mindy, I don't think you know about any of these things that I'm going to be mentioning. And I don't think you did you know about any of this either, Spencer. No. We were instructed not to read her notes, so I'm really excited. So there are a bunch of awesome TV shows that are going to be coming out. So this first one, um, this information comes from IndieWire. If you're a fan of the movie Parasite, writer-director Bong Joon-ho is developing a television adaptation of Parasite for HBO. So the cable network confirmed in January that they'd be making a television series based on Parasite with Bong serving as the producer alongside Adam McKay, who is also an Oscar winner. He wrote The Big Short, and he's also a producer of HBO's Succession, which I need to start watching. And, of course, Anchorman. (laughs) And, yes. (laughs) And there's that, too. Um, So... Bong has been vocal about not being able to fit every idea that he wanted for Parasite into a two-hour theatrical release. So he is going to be um, doing a TV adaptation to function as the six-hour movie that he originally envisioned. Um, That's Yeah, that sounds like a David (laughs) Lynch-length I was just going to say, because initially my very initial thought was, please tell me it's not going to be like a reoccurring show, because like how much could they do with that? But this sounds interesting, actually. Yeah, so it it looks like it's just going to be like more like a mini series, yeah. I guess. Than I really a TV like show. that they're doing that more with TV shows now. It's like a limited series of maybe one or two, or yep. they know where the end is. Exactly. Like, um, like a, Westworld. a break, Breaking Bad, they they knew five seasons. That's it. Like I hate it that shows go beyond where they should. And so if you know you're only you you got a story that's going to be one or two seasons done. It's like a long movie. Yeah, and I know that like people have stopped watching the show. I or at least talking about it as much but I'm still catching up but I'm still watching Westworld and they, that's how they actually pitched the show initially because that first season was so like badass I thought that everybody was hooked and they said that they didn't want to walk into HBO and have a stellar first season and then be like get renewed and be like oh now shit what? so they literally had three acts planned which cool. the third season's about to start anyway or well also I like what Fargo does is where it's like a completely different storyline each season it yeah. keeps yeah. it much more interesting and fresh yeah it is more like just originality a in long television movie. is appreciated i guess is what we're saying <laughs> so basically bong said there were so many stories that i thought could happen in between the sequences that you see in the film and some background stories for each character bong said of expanding parasite into a television series i really wanted to explore those ideas freely with a five or six hour film you know with bergman's fanny and alexander there's a theatrical version and there's also a tv version so with the tv series for parasite i think i'll be able to create a high quality expanded film and if you're a fan of his other movie snowpiercer beginning in may tnt will world premiere its television adaptation of bong's 2013 sci-fi action film snowpiercer snowpiercer 
actually, <laughs> which we just watched um, this week. And oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's yeah, interesting. It's very interesting. What, I would say watch it for Tilda Swindon alone. Quite frankly, sir. She's, yeah, yeah, she's good. she's good in everything she does. But yeah. yeah, she was. It's an interesting movie, though. I think it was very interesting, and I'm excited about the TV series because hopefully they'll go more into um, the creation of the train and maybe even go what happens after or yeah. and before. How did it? You know what happened yeah. in that time leading up to that? Yeah, good point. Um, so if you have not seen um snow piercer it is set in a dystopian future where all of civilization lives on a moving train that is divided by economic class the rich live in luxury in the front of the train while the poor struggle in the overcrowded and impoverished back so um this tv series is going to star david diggs from hamilton and blind spotting opposite jennifer conley whoa and uh diggs is going to play a member of the lower class who leads a rebellion against the rich and so snow piercer premieres may 31st on tnt so i will definitely be checking that out i will too that would be cool but the i'm excited about the parasite, parasite. show too it's mm-hmm. an hbo man they know what they're doing all right so Here's a possible new show that might become a thing. And before, Mindy, you get your panties in a bunch, let me explain the entire... I, Her panties are always in a bunch. <laughs> no, and I think I know, I have a feeling... Let me explain the entire okay. plot before you get all fucking pissed off. Okay. All right. So this info comes from The Hollywood Reporter. Fox has handed out a pilot order to an untitled drama about a substitute teacher with three students attempting to reenact the Goonies. So, yes, I know you thought they were turning the Goonies into a television series. I did. But that is not, that's why I said don't get pissed off until I explain the whole thing. Because this actually, the premise sounds really, really cool. So basically, the plot is after failing to make it in New York and carrying a heavy secret a heavy secret with her, Stella Cooper returns to her distressed automotive hometown to substitute teach. She finds inspiration, hope, and ultimately salvation when she agrees to help three students who are pursuing their filmmaking dreams to put on an impossibly ambitious, ambitious, God, I can't fucking talk today, shot for shot. <laughs> Drink more coffee. I need more coffee. I think the problem is I haven't had any alcohol for five days. <laughs> shot for shot remake of one of their favorite movies the goonies over the course of the season of the potential series their passion will inspire a town in desperate need of hope in this love letter to the power of cinema storytelling and dreams greg matola director of Superbad, and also uh he directed some episodes of hbo's newsroom will executive produce and direct the pilot gail berman will also executive produce alongside Richard Donner and his wife, Lauren Schuler. Amblin Entertainment is um, also producing this. Huh. So basically, the original Goonies was released in uh, 1985. The story was written by Steven Spielberg, and it was directed by Richard Donner. So I'm thinking that with the combination of Donner and also Amblin Amblin Entertainment producing this. Yes. It might be really, really good. Also, it sounds like it might be kind of piggybacking on the success of Stranger Things. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like a cross between, because I'm like, I am a little judgy. I'm not going to lie. It kind of sounds like a cross between Stranger Things and the movie Hamlet 2, which is not a Uh. horror film, (laughs) but if anybody has not seen that movie, I can't recommend it enough. But 
I, it, you're right. The fact that like Donner himself is involved and Amblin Entertainment, I, I'll I'll check it out. Well, it's not even they're they just ordered the pilot, so right? Yeah, it's I not actually, even on IMDb. Yeah, I actually hope this does become a thing because it sounds like one of those um, underdog stories that I'm kind of a sucker for. Yeah, it does kind of. So I think it'd be really cool. And plus, I kind of want to see how children would recreate a shot for shot version of the Goonies, that which does... is one of my all time favorite childhood movies. Oh, for sure. That was another one that and Freddy Krueger we would watch like a lot in my parents' basement. All right. They have announced <clears throat> yeah. the Goonies two. Oh, right. yeah. See that we don't need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one I of the uh, one of the characters or actors is Cindy Lauper. Really? So we'll see about. They're that. probably just going to reuse the song. Is anyone else from the original cast in this? Uh, it says uh, Corey Feldman is one of the stars, uh, and Cindy Lauper and Robert Davi. I'm not sure who he is. Anyway, that's all that it says. Well, at least Corey Feldman's in it. I mean, if honestly, if they can get more people, if they can get like Sean Astin, uh, Josh Brolin, Martha Plimpton, maybe. Eh, I mean, they don't need to make this movie. No, but that's why. And I saw that look you gave me, Sharon. But like, <laughs> whatever. We'll see if that even happens. But is now the time to mention that I'm already going to burn down Hollywood since they're remaking the movie Clue? Oh, I know. That's just like the worst ever. <laughs> It's also not a horror movie, but the original is a masterpiece, and uh, it's, I think, Disney, I read. Isn't that the article you sent me, I think? But Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool people are behind it. Really? Which I'm like, well, well they, yeah, Spencer's making a face like, eh, that could Maybe it. it's going to be, well, because the original Clue is PG, so maybe they're going to do a more adult version of it with a lot more violence and well but do we need that blood and gore and also the original's so freaking good and so well written that i was thinking are they doing this because they're worried that millennials won't know like that communism is just a red herring because if that's the case like they can pick up a history book and read about j edgar hoover's phone tapping these are all references (laughs) to the original clue by the way um but they don't need to remake it just teach people about history through comedy well i mean i i don't know how much that was going to be related to it but at the very least it's probably going to be much more like self-referential and meta and not that the other one wasn't funny it was very funny but this one's going to be you know if though if that team is involved it should be pretty funny you know we're going to go fucking see it when it comes out we're going to have to because we're either going to have to make fun of it or eat crow so (laughs) yeah i mean i can't be judgy if i haven't seen it so all right. Anyway, sorry. Well, there are people who are making original stuff. So this next show comes from Deadline. Uh, on Tuesday, Showtime confirmed the development of a new half-hour series titled The Auteur. And I think you have to pronounce it that way. <laughs> uh, it's based on the graphic novel of the same name. And what is exciting about this? Well, it's set to star Jude Law, and one of the co-writers and producers is Teika Watiti, who just won the uh, Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit, which he also directed, produced, and starred in. Oh, well. Um, he's also one of the writers and directors for What We Do in the Shadows, both the TV show and the movies, along with my New Zealand boyfriend, Jermaine Clement. Oh, you back off, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's amazing, actually. He's, they both are. But they both he, are. I'm, that's exciting that he's doing that. So the auteur is based on the graphic novel by Rick Spears, James Callahan, and Luigi Anderson. It's described as a gonzo horror comedy, a twisted romance, and a glamorous high-wire act 
of biting satire. I'm in. Totally. And basically, the plot can be summed up as being desperate to make a great horror movie after a massive bomb. A film producer accidentally traps his production on a backlot with a serial killer. Oh, I'm so in. Hardcore. So Watiti is set to direct the pilot episode. Follow-up episodes, him directing those is going to be subject to basically his availability because he's busy as fuck. Good. Um, he's talented as fuck, so I'm he's, glad. Yeah, I love him and I love the concept of this. So. Oh my God, so good, yeah. Um, And then finally, we're recording this on the 22nd it will be airing on the 24th, but tomorrow on the 23rd, what, what? the new Forensic Files <laughs> That's right. is scheduled to air. I'm so excited. The previous narrator, who we all know and love his voice, he passed away, sadly, but the new season is going to be narrated by actor Bill Camp from The Outsider and Joker, The Night Of, Dark Waters, so... That's exciting. Yeah. I, I think he'll he'll probably do a good job. Also, what day did you say it is today that we're recording? The 22nd, Kamala Glackland's birthday. <laughs> Which means tomorrow is February 23rd. 24th is Twin Peaks Day. I was trying to build so to it. I was trying to build to it. So close. Sorry. But this episode will be airing on Twin Peaks Day. That's so what I was trying to build to it. Happy Twin Peaks Day, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> It's like we're we're future Sharon and Mindy, and we're also past Sharon and Mindy. That's right. It's weird. We could do it though. It we, we're it's, in a it's physics. We won't explain it. We're in a time loop. It's complicated. But um, all right. Anyway, Bill yeah. Camp shares your birthday, by the way. Does what? he now? Oh, so that is all I have as far as upcoming TV shows that are coming out. Uh, now we are going to move this hodgepodge episode into a different direction. Last week, we had an episode talking about Wayne Bowden, who was a serial killer and rapist from Montreal, and how he was tied into the movie Black Christmas. So Mindy just got the brand new DVD and take it. Take it, Mindy. Take it. Um, It's not brand new brand new it came out i think in 2014 but it's like the 40th anniversary collector's edition um and i have spent the majority of the week there is it's a two disc set and it's it has a lot of special features a lot so uh, you know what i think so i mean it's a classic movie and they have what's kind of adorable because it came out in 2014 the first disc is the movie with the commentary which I didn't even get to watch the commentary that's how much stuff is on the special features disc but um they advertise like all new 2k restoration of the original film which I'm actually anxious to see but it's just funny because like now they're up to like 8k or some shit Mm -hmm. now but um they also have like the original like cut that's not remastered which I think is the only one I've ever seen like that you know from the time anyway I was hoping to hear them talk more about the rumor but sort of true story that that uh, Roy Moore the screenwriter for Black Christmas uh, was inspired by as Sharon said serial killer Wayne Bowden they didn't talk about it really um i watched a lot of there's great special features there's a great section with like old archival interviews with everybody including margot kidder which was really uh cool to see 
but um, there was only one sort of retrospective special that they had in, amongst the special features where the only mention even slightly related was in the voiceover, which was the voiceover narration, excuse me, of this particular special feature, which was done by actor John Saxon. Um, and he just mentions that Roy Moore was inspired by these killings that took place in Montreal. Like he doesn't even mention Bowdoin by name. And then apparently, and this is pretty known at this point, um, but then the script was then, it then got to Bob Clark and Bob Clark did a lot of rewrites and such. So uh, I looked in IMDb again, and they say that there was a mention in a Q&A with Clark of Bowdoin. Um, and it just says from a few years back in the, and this is from the FAQ section on Black Christmas on IMDb. There is, while there is a Q&A as part of the special features with, with Bob Clark, he does not talk about <laughs> Uh, any serial killers I will say in there I mean there I could talk about the special features all day which I won't but I will say that um in mo like most of the special features Clark uh da definitely confirms that conversation with John Carpenter where John Carpenter asked Clark if he was going to do a Black Christmas sequel and when Clark said he didn't think so uh Carpenter asked what it would be about and C Clark does confirm that his idea was or is basically essentially the plot of what became Halloween but what was kind of cute is every single time he would talk about this he was very quick to point out that like Halloween is all Carpenter's baby like maybe he you know yes maybe he got the idea from Clark describing his potential sequel but he literally Bob Clark literally was like but he wrote directed and did that all that entire score all by himself like it, like really does like put the onus on John Carpenter he's not like you know that was my idea which I thought that was kind of cute like every it's mentioned at least five times and every single time he's like well yeah we had this conversation that did happen but then he made all the music and that's his thing like it's sweet so Hmm. All right. Well, I guess it's a little disappointing that they didn't mention Wayne Bowden, but also they probably don't want to bring up a horrible fucking rapist and uh, really connect him to the film. Well, so. and I didn't I, literally I didn't even have time to watch. There is a movie like on the movie disc. There is a commentary with Bob Clark. I didn't have a chance to even get to that. So I might report back later and see if he says something. But OK. Wah, wah. I thought you said you weren't going to talk about Black Christmas anymore. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. It'll never happen. All right. So also in our episode from last week, we told the story of Daniel Gonzalez, a.k.a. the Freddy Krueger killer. He was a British spree killer who was responsible for the deaths of four people and also injuring two others over a two day rampage in September of 2004 in London and Sussex. So basically, in our discussion last week, we touched on the fact that he did have known mental illness. Um, well, actually, we did more than touch on the fact, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was a big part of our discussion. And both he and his mom tried repeatedly to get him the help he needed and that his murder spree could have possibly been avoided entirely if the doctors, the police and a lot of other people that were supposed to help him and basically if they just took his mental illness more seriously. So Mindy was asking last week if it was ever brought up in his trial that there were repeated tries to help him prior to the murders. Um, and I was also wondering if the doctors or any of the people in charge of treating him were held responsible mm -hmm. for their negligence of the situation or yeah. if they lost their licenses. So I did some more research and this is what I found. Really quick, I'm just going to say before you give us the 
before you reveal the answer, I my call was that bullshit. No way that did anybody lose their license or be held responsible. So Sharon, well, Mindy, if <laughs> I'm not a betting woman, so maybe that's a good thing. But if you were, you might win big. <laughs> so we're gonna backtrack just a little bit. And we're going to start with what happened uh, to Daniel two days before the murders. And you actually mentioned the police being held responsible at all. And I was like, well, they it was more like the doctors, but you were actually right. So oh. based on what happened two days before the murders and what the police could have done differently... According to an article by Siri Live, Daniel Gonzalez ran naked in front of school children and parents two days before he first killed, but police were powerless to arrest him. Surrey's police power to deal with mentally ill officers was, quote, very limited, but officers were found not to be negligent by an independent police complaints commission report. I got to say that one slowly because yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of that yes. a little bit of a tongue twister there. All right, so the report found police acted, quote, appropriately and proportionately following seven separate reports of a man running naked in Nap Hill on September 13th, 2004. Gonzalez's mother, Leslie Savage, and her partner, Stephen Harper, say police could have averted the two-day killing spree if they had acted on the request for Gonzalez to be detained under the Mental Health Act. The commission's report was completed in July of 2005 following the couple's complaints so this is almost a year after the murders two officers pcs fellows and raleigh were called to nap hill just after 8 a.m on september 13th to search for gonzalez both officers who the report says were not at fault were unable to locate daniel gonzalez an untreated paranoid schizophrenic whose police file contained warnings for quote for weapons, mental health issues, and officer safety oh. was not identified as the naked man until later that morning when Mr. Harper, uh, his stepdad, visited the Woking police station. So officers took no further action, and two days later, Gonzalez slit the throat of a woman in Worthing, and his attacks continued until September 17th when he was arrested in London. So Mr. Harper said that he did go to the police expecting Gonzalez to be taken into hospital because of his mental state, as had happened twice before, and Daniel's mom said that her partner asked not to be identified because he was nervous about upsetting Daniel, but he did give the address of where Daniel was located and made it clear that Daniel was there at the time. So, hey, like that was him running Dude. naked. Go to the house. He's there now. Take him into a hospital. Get him treated. Here's a video I upl uploaded to YouTube. You can clearly see his <laughs> face. Oh, my God. Here's some Seriously? Polaroids that I took. Here's some photos. Jesus. Here's a sketch I did. <laughs> we did a character at uh, Disney World. <laughs> So Mr. Harper spoke to Jackie Dore, a receptionist at the Woking Police Station, who has since been promoted because, you know, a lot of people get promoted for not doing their jobs, right? Um, so now she works elsewhere, but her statement is at odds with Mr. Harper's, and the notes that she took have been lost. Oh, that's a that's that's helpful. But the report states that Dore said that Mr. Harper refused to give his name and address. Yeah. And did not want police involvement, which totally contradicts what I just said about him going to the police station and being like, here's my address. This is my stepson's name. He needs help. So, yeah. And why would he be at the police station? 
yeah. anyway if he didn't want to talk to the police. Yeah, I, that makes to hang zero out. sense. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to say you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Well, and of course... Here's some donuts. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, her word against his word, it doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make sense. So, yeah. So, basically, she said that he refused to give his name and address as he did not want police involvement, but was unable to recall whether the man had said Daniel was back at home. So... Doesn't add up. The report states if police had acted, their options under the Mental Health Act would have been limited. It adds the policy should have been updated or at least reviewed in July of 2014 and was not. So police could have sought a warrant from magistrates who have to have Gonzalez removed or contacted a social worker who could have authorized him to be taken to a hospital. Daniel's mom did contact a mental health social worker named only as Mr. Kiza in the report, but it states she described him as indifferent and passive. Uh, This made her perturbed and angry. Yeah, I I would imagine so. So she was adamant on Tuesday that a different approach on September 13th would have averted the tragedy that unfolded later that week. She said, quote, they definitely would have seen he was completely gaga if they had came here. They would have seen he was psychotic. All right. So this information comes from 100families.org, which is an organization that supports families who have lost loved ones as a result of killings by people with severe mental illness. So these statements are made by Daniel's mom, his stepfather, and also Daniel himself. Okay. So this first statement comes from Daniel's mom. Every time we asked for help, we were told we would have to wait for a crisis to occur before we could have the help he needed. I did not know something dreadful was going to happen, but I was scared. This is actually a handwritten letter that Daniel wrote himself that he gave to his general practitioner on October of 2003 11 months before the killing. I really do need help now. I have tried to cope on my own like a normal human being without help or medication, but I have not managed to succeed. I was admitted to hospital in 1998 under Section 37 of the Mental Health Act. I do not want this to happen again, so I really need to go to hospital voluntarily and receive treatment under the care of doctors before my mental state gets worse. Please, please help me. This is very urgent. I really, really do need mental help and find the correct environment and the correct medication. I need to take this in a controlled hospital environment. Can you please help me? I would really appreciate it if you would help me improve as I am in a desperate situation. P.S. Here's the severed foot of the last person I killed. Daniel was not admitted to a hospital. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm doing like the Picard, like... uh, (laughs) you know, face palm thing right now. I Oh, my God. And this is a statement also made by Daniel. The day before I committed the offenses, I was seen running around Nap Hill Estate completely naked, round the shops, past all the pubs and everything, back down the road and round the estate completely naked. Yet I wasn't arrested. No, no social workers or doctors came to see me or anything like that. Nothing was done to prevent that at all. I don't know why I did it, to be honest. I absolutely have no idea. That morning, I was punching myself in the face, trying to give myself black eyes, and I did have one black eye. I was just going mad. I have never been this ill before, not even when I committed my offenses. I think I was in a mode of self-harm, but in a different type of way. I wanted to degrade myself, self-degradation to feel better. That's the reason why I did that. 
I tried to break my nose by jumping face down on the dustbin. I threw myself down the stairs about three or four times. Anyway, I was running around the estate naked and everyone saw this. My stepdad called the police. The police didn't come. That's heartbreaking. That is utterly heartbreaking. Utterly. This whole situation. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, like, like, what more do you have to do? You. It's so ridiculous to have someone begging for help and then... In their police files, it says this guy has mental illness. He's been institutionalized, blah, blah, blah. And the fact that people thought he was faking, that his doctors thought he was faking, and even if he was faking, like... And this was when? What year was this? Uh, this was in 2004. Well, 2003, 2004. So not, we're not talking like 1965 or some shit. Like, this mm-hmm. is like, not recent, recent, but like, the, yeah, appalling. Absolutely. So this comes from Stephen Harper, Daniel's stepfather. This is uh, about the morning that he was found running around naked. I can tell you exactly what happened because I still remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up in the morning. It was one of my rest days. I went downstairs, had a cup of tea, went out to the driveway and got into my car. I heard movement upstairs. I knew Daniel was awake. I sat in my car and was just rolling a cigarette. And the next thing I knew, Daniel came running up the drive, sprinting straight past me without any clothes on. This was at approximately 10 past 8 in the morning. There are quite a few schools where I live, so there were people about, and it was quite a busy time. I thought I would drive to see where he was going and what was going on. I couldn't find him, so I drove around the village for a bit, and then I phoned Leslie at work. She said to go and check if he's back at home. I went back, opened up the front door. I knew he was home because I could see through the living room window. I could see him pacing up and down. I walked in and there was no sound at all. He had obviously heard me come in and it went quiet. I said, Daniel, I've been looking for you in Nap Hill. He said, I wasn't in Nap Hill, man, in a really strange voice that I had never heard before. I thought something's wrong here. I could just sense that something wasn't quite right. I thought the only thing I can do is go down to the police station. I thought, If I can go down to the police station, they'll take me more seriously. I can give them a lot more information. Paranoid schizophrenic, not taking any medication, just fill them in on a bit of the details. That's what I did. The police did not attend. Later that day, Daniel's mother called the duty social worker at the community mental health team, but again, without results. What the fuck? I know. (laughs) It's so frustrating. So then this comes from Daniel again. If someone makes a phone call to the mental health team and says, my son's running around the estate naked and he's jumping down the stairs and he's trying to fall flat on his face to see if he can break his nose, if I'm running around the estate naked, they should have acted. He called the police and I didn't get arrested for it. That would easily have prevented those crimes because I was in a very bad way. So I'm not sure if the statements, if these all these statements were made um, at the trial or after the conviction. But now we are going to... That letter, though, is har- that he wrote I know. is utterly heartbreaking. It's really amazing to hear his own words right, about that, this whole thing. I know. And I, like, joked about, like, the severed foot thing, but it's, like, literally, like, what, how, how much, what else do I have to do to, like, make you arrest me? Mm-hmm. Like, and the fact that he was running around a neighborhood where his stepdad said, like, there were many people out, like... And seven people called the cops. What the... I mean, nothing happened. And also, you know, most serial killers don't ask for help. Right. You know, I think the closest 
that I know of is Dahmer, who he had remorse after his murders. And I think he he really did want to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, But like people like Bundy, he never, you know, from what we know, he was killing probably 10 years or more before oh, um it was even known about um yeah who knows and but... if he didn't get caught he would have just kept going and going and going i oh, don't yeah. think he ever would have stopped and and other killers as well like green river killer and yeah i don't know is it it's oh, it's rare horrible. that someone asks for help before you know when it gets to that point where you you're going to go out and you're going to commit murder where you're like begging for help so you don't do it. And if you're a schizophrenic and you yourself recognize and admit that you're having a problem, like that yeah. is up above and beyond. And I was about to say if I were him, I would have just like gone to the ER, but actually probably nothing would have happened. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, that's horrible. So this comes from the guardian. Now we get to the trial. Oh, uh, okay, good. So during the trial, Daniel Gonzalez was described by the prosecution as a callous, cold person who wanted to emulate the slaughter inflicted by the evil figure of Freddy Krueger. Prosecutor Richard Horwell said Gonzalez subsequently tried to manipulate psychiatrists into believing he heard voices commanding him to kill and was a, quote, psychopath whose, quote, very personality led him to kill, disinhibited by a cocktail of drugs and alcohol. The prosecution accepted Gonzalez had a personality disorder, but insisted he was not suffering from mental illness. But a personality disorder is a mental illness, but it's a very serious one. So <laughs> that doesn't even make sense on on their, yeah. know, what they're saying. The defense claimed that he was guilty of manslaughter, not murder. So... The, what was the prosecutor's name? Uh, Richard Horwell. More like Richard Horrible. <laughs> Good one. Good one, Mindy. <laughs> but like, oh yeah, I can't even. <laughs> so now after the trial, and it, there there was an inquiry into his health care. Okay. Um, so an inquiry into Gonzalez's care and treatment was carried out by the Syrian Borders Partnership NHS Trust, which is a mental health clinic in southern England. After the guilty verdict, the NHS Trust, which treated Gonzalez for seven years, said that... Seven years? Seven years they worked with him. In that time, they said there was, quote, no sign he would show serious violence towards others. A statement from the Syrian Borders Partnership NHS Trust, which took over from the Northwest Surrey Mental Health Partnership, said everyone who was involved in his care was shocked and horrified to hear that he had been charged with these dreadful offenses. The trust offers its sincere sympathy to the families of Mr. Gonzalez's victim and understands from the jury's verdicts that they believe that his mental illness was not a factor of the attacks. Fucking bullshit. How is he treated for seven years, but they're like, oh, but he's fine. Yeah. And like, well, what were they doing the whole for seven years then? Like, I don't, this whole story uh, is just ridiculous. I know. I don't even know why I'm asking these questions. Infuriating. Yeah. Um, so they also said these incidents were not preceded by a history of violence. And for that reason, the trust does not believe his actions could have been predicted. Oh, my God. 
Trust Chief Executive Fiona Edwards said there is no direct link between Gonzalez's illness and his shocking attacks. Mr. Gonzalez was a disturbed young man who acted as he did from forces that we may never fully understand, she said. If there are any lessons we can learn that will in any way reduce the likelihood of this kind of tragedy happening happening again, we certainly want to discover them. Like maybe when a person begs for help and says that they should be locked up and they're not right in the head, listen to them and fucking help them. Just a thought. Yeah, like we we never expected it. Well, here's a letter I can show you that he wrote. Like, what? oh my God. And honestly, like who, why would anyone ask for help? It's not like, I mean, I'm not, I don't speak from personal experience, but from what I can tell, like, being admitted to like a mental hospital or mm-hmm. whatever ain't like you know a party like it's no. not like a fun thing any so why would the the very thought that he would be faking it for attention unless is you stupid. have a, a horrible home life but it sounds like his mom and stepdad actually really cared about him Plus, so like yeah there's other options for if you have a bad home life like I wouldn't the first thing I wouldn't think would be like I'll go to a mental hospital like yeah he wanted oh to be God. treated he wanted someone to come and give him medications because he couldn't do that on his own Ugh. yeah no the whole thing is infuriating I'm glad I found that extra research yes answered my question hopefully answered your questions <sighs> and at least like Poor Daniel, like more of that backstory gets out into the world for him and for other, hopefully in some ways it could help Ho- potentially yeah. someone else suffering. But that is just horrible. Hopefully. Horrible, horrible. So speaking of mental illnesses, All right. um, you finally watched Joker. I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and I have multiple notes in front of me because as you know, since you both have seen it, Sharon, mm-hmm. I know you've watched it many times now. Like, it's a complicated movie, and I had a lot of thoughts rushing into my brain immediately after finishing it. Um, and so I was have been trying to articulate these thoughts. And the reason we're discussing Joker now, because obviously it came out quite a while ago. When it first came out in the theaters, we brought it up uh, while we were recording an episode, and Mindy went off on like a 20 minute tirade about how she'll not watch this movie and how it's fucking bullshit and how blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And she was basically just quoting every newspaper article or newspaper. She doesn't read the fucking newspaper. Every article she read online. <laughs> and we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, calm down. Actually, I hadn't read like it was like trending and stuff which is how I heard about it I hadn't read a whole lot of articles I have now but you had a whole lot of opinions for someone who didn't see this movie so now that you've finally just watched it like a week ago I need to hear because we have not talked about this since you've watched it I need to hear your thoughts on this movie so um and if your opinions have changed (laughs) I think initially I'm like personally Batmaned out and I just in my current headspace especially at the time I was like I don't think Like, I can handle a movie like this, but also, I'm sure it'll be great. Joaquin will be great, but, like, I'm just not in the headspace. That had a lot to do with it. But then, yes, people were complaining about idolizing a psycho that goes on a murder spree. That was, like, the big one that we heard, or that I heard, sorry. We, me, myself, and I. Which, obviously, I have no problems with that, since we're doing this podcast about horror movies. But I did watch it because I knew I wanted to wait and watch it like in my living room by myself 
And my initial reaction was a feeling of astonishing emptiness that was buoyed by this genius performance. And I think that that was intentional. I have my own theory about why there was so much controversy. And I had sent Sharon these like mad, crazy texts where she was probably like, okay, Mindy's either just done a lot of coke and is freaking out or but like in terms of articulating my thoughts this is a sentence I never thought I'd ever say but what finally helped me pull everything together was two quotes one by Joaquin Phoenix himself and another by Donald Trump um so well so yeah <laughs> having said that the, the looks that went around this room just now <laughs> were having said that and this uh, i mean when you talk about movies it's your opinion so obviously this is mostly all my opinion clearly uh-huh. but my initial reaction was this the controversy around this movie it comes down to one thing and that's privilege um it is very <laughs> to quote uh tracy jordan uh Tracy Morgan's character from 30 Rock in an episode where he says, I want to hold up a mirror to society and then win an award for biggest mirror. (laughs) (laughs) When you make a movie that that does that kind of a thing, you know, everybody wants to look in the mirror and see a good reflection. And let's be honest, not all of us. Nobody's perfect. Not everybody has great moments every single day. And there are things happening in this world right now that are not very great. And I felt like this movie really kind of did hold up a mirror to the reality of what's going on. I I give us a year before like certain parts of this country are like full Gotham, at least as it's portrayed in in Joker. My initial response was, oh, okay, this was a movie made from the perspective of the have-nots, and the haves are all pissed off because they, spoiler alert, don't come off looking all that great. And I could be wrong, but I think that people saw how that perception and perspective was set up and was just like not happy with it whether registered consciously or not with them i think that's some of the people that were upset obviously there's people upset because this is another story of a a white man who's which i was yeah that's what i was gonna say i'm gonna recognize the fact that yes he is a white guy but you know like you were talking about with daniel gonzalez what you know the biggest argument I about the movie that I heard was you know let's not idolize psychos on killing sprees which I'm like did we watch the same movie because he's clearly mentally ill um and it's also not a lot of murder there's not right there's no killing spree compared well exactly compared to a lot of the other movies that we watch you know there there's really not that much violence and murder in it yeah, I, 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 that perspective, I, I honestly am like, I think you maybe saw a different movie than I did. Um, but also, Daniel Gonzalez was dealing with mental illness, which I'm not in any way tying mental illness to murder or, or violence. Like, mm-hmm. I just have to say that. Nor am I condoning the violence that does happen in the film by any stretch. And that was, I think, another point of contention was a lot of people were saying there is they're making a direct link between mental illness and violence. And it's very rare that someone with mental illness does go to those lengths of violence or murder or anything like that 
which I don't think is the point of the movie that it's saying that mentally ill people are going to commit murder right. or violent acts. And I, I, I guess for people who haven't seen it, I won't say specifically, but if you stayed till the end, the very last scene, if you listen to what Arthur, Joaquin Phoenix, the Joker, his character saying, he's kind of explaining what the movie's about, quite frankly. And I, I, I had a thought last night where I was like, you know, as you walk down the street, like, does everybody stop and give money to homeless people? What do they do? They usually walk on past. If you hear someone's on Medicaid, do you judge somehow a little bit? Maybe a little kind of like that happens in this world. And we see that happening to him. And he, all he wants to do is bring a little bit of a smile into the world and is just looked over and laughed at and cast aside. I will say that I my heart literally broke in half. Um, like Daniel Gonzalez, he was he trying to seek help and was seeing a public counselor. And there's a scene where he's trying to talk to her more about his feelings and she has to stop him. And she's like, our, your, our funding's been cut. And he doesn't really get it. And she's like, no, I, I can't help you anymore. And I... Without getting too much into it, like having someone as being someone who's dealt with, you know, insurance issues and health issues and, and how that whole madness, that was just devastating to me. And that was for me where I was like, OK, like that was the turning point in the movie because people have limits. And I think that you can push people so far. And again, not that I, I necessarily am condoning, but I, I also didn't find it completely unrealistic that he would realize this new identity sort of as like a mental a way to kind of find a way to vent the anger and also it it just wasn't the mental health issues which he he Uh, clearly had but he grew up being physically abused which a lot of people who do turn into killers is not just because they have mental health issues they deal with years of abuse and he also had abuse from his mother right there's a lot of the it's a lot of other things right besides just oh he you know he's depressed he has mental health issues and he just doesn't know how to cope anymore like there's yeah a whole back history a, a lot more to his story that briefly gets mentioned right 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 and then that add i to think that, people forget about right and add to that fact that he's obviously lower class he's ignored in life in general i mean like the opening scene like you know he's one of those guys you feel sorry for on the corner with like a sign for somebody's store and some punk's attack him and kick the shit out of him and and like fuck up his sign and his boss's response despite the fact that he's like completely bruised and fucked up his boss is like well you gotta get that fixed or you owe me like are you serious like, and he, he doesn't believe him he's like why would somebody do that no he accused him of stealing the sign actually oh right i'm sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm sorry but the point was he was like well you either replace it or you pay me mm-hmm. and it's like well it's so obvious though like all of those frustrations added together I just I'm surprised there wasn't more violence in the movie, quite frankly. And honestly, the point to me where I kind of saw him break when I the first time I watched the movie was when he was on the bus and he (gasps) was trying to make the little boy laugh. And it was like a scene where he was like actually interacting with someone who smiled back at him. Yes. And then the mom was... think he was weird or creepy or something. Yeah. And that's what he wanted was to make people smile. Yeah. And then the mom was like, 
quit bothering my son. Which, to be fair. Which, yeah, he's pretty creepy looking. I would probably be like, yeah, don't talk to my son either. But in his mind, he's not. He's harmless, and he just wants to laugh and make people laugh. And that's how he sees himself, is this person who's put on earth to make people laugh. And I think that right there you could just see him break just a little bit more like oh yeah so bringing it back to privilege i feel all over the social media in politics like the common conversation that's happening is like if this isn't doesn't directly affect my life why should i care i honestly think that people like you said not all but like or actually as sharon said not all but a good amount of people i think were rubbed probably the wrong way by seeing that society really does sometimes treat the less fortunate in a pretty shitty fashion. And I think they always have. Well, right. But from like, the beginning of time. This is like, they don't pull punches. And Joaquin's like performance absolutely pulls no punches in showing the effect and the hurt that that inflicts on someone in that position. And you know what? Like, that's not easy for people to come to terms with, which brings me to the quotes that I have. From I'll start with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, in, he was on the cover, uh, Sharon, you probably know this, of Vanity Fair in October 2019. Yeah, it's hanging over my bed. That's what I figured. <laughs> um, and this is from that article. Um, Spencer doesn't like it, but <laughs> tough shit. No. I'll get my own poster. That photo shoot uh, was pretty easy on the eyes, I have to say. But I was looking for quotes when I was reading the article. <clears throat> anyway. Quote, quote. Quotes and air quotes. <laughs> uh, so this is from said Vanity Fair interview. Um, actor Joaquin Phoenix anticipated a mix, mixed reaction to the film's moral ambiguity. It's a difficult film, he acknowledges. We want the simple answers. We want to vilify people. It allows us to feel good if we can identify that as evil. Well, I'm not racist because I don't have a Confederate flag or go to this protest. It allows us to feel that way. But that's not healthy because we're not really examining our inherent racism that most white people have, certainly, or whatever it may be. The movie isn't a call to action, he insists, but a call to self-reflection to society, which I could not agree with more. So having said that, at a rally in Colorado uh, earlier the week that we're recording this, so like around February 19th or so, uh, Donald Trump was bitching about everything, but he started bitching about the Oscars this year and referenced... Why? Because he wasn't nominated? (laughs) (laughs) Well... This is this is one of the, the quotes I didn't want you to see because I oh, laughed God. my butt off at the response to this. But basically, he brought up uh, Parasite, which actually deals with a lot of the same concepts, mm-hmm. just in a slightly different way. And this is a this is from the Washington Times uh, t- discussing this rally that Trump spoke at and bitched about the Oscars. And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? Mr. Trump said at a campaign rally in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We've got enough problems with South Korea with trade. And after all that, they give them the best movie of the year, he asked. Can we get Gone with the Wind back, please? What the fuck? And I'm like, that sums up everything. Yeah, let's get a movie about a giant plantation in the South in the old day. Like... The goddess Bette Midler on Twitter just yesterday actually responded to a story about that quote. And she tweeted, 
At his rally, Trump complained about Parasite winning the Oscar. I'm more upset that it Parasite won the White House. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Good one. Oh, she's the best, man. She really is. I was going to say, I almost called her Babs. I was going to say, good one, Babs. Nope. So, Wrong diva. I'm just, just because I want to pull a different kind of negative perspective and then I'll let Sharon have at it really quick. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Let's this bitch is- about a movie because it's from another country and say, let's bring a movie back that's about the fucking Civil War. Go home, Grandpa. You're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that he's not alone in feeling that way obviously yeah that's why he's fucking president to go to a negative perspective that was one that i hadn't heard before because we're talking about how much we like the movie and the things we found important but to have a fair and balanced argument and then i'm gonna let sharon have at it after i read this quote um this is from a slate article called joker's oscar nominations are a joke by dan kois i'm gonna say it's k-o-i-s and his quote is Joker is a movie for people who think that blood spatter and dwarf jokes are daring and provocative when in fact they are extremely tired. Joker is a movie for people who think that movies about class riots demonstrate actual class consciousness by a Hollywood studio when in fact the movie is porn for viewers who get off on squalor. Joker is a movie for people who think that starving yourself, being a pain to your co-workers, and allegedly kicking a dumpster so hard you just dislocate your knee are evidence of good acting in fact they are not what the fuck (laughs) that was one of his many rants as to why joker did not deserve oscar nominations and i had not heard that kind of uh well he just summed that up perfectly didn't he that kind of argument before so i felt but again i'm like but you missed subtleties that made up more Like, you miss parts that are very valid. And actually, I'm not a fan of people, you know, physically changing drastically for films. But I actually, yes, Joaquin was, like, thinner, but not horribly. He wasn't, like, machinist skinny, like uh, No, he wasn't machinist skinny, but he was pretty gross. And he he lost, like, what, 50 or 60 pounds. But he also, his use of his, his body and his movement was astounding to me. Like, and I was actually, I don't know if he said dance training really, but like, (laughs) I thought that he used his physicality in a way that was really, really, really stunning. So I did like the movie, um, but I also was like, I don't really know when I'll want to watch this again, just because I felt like there was too much of it that hit too close to home. But I I From your days as a performance clown. Yes. (laughs) But I think it's also something that we need to be doing and we need to be having these conversations i did enjoy it i think it was it's an important movie i'm not a huge todd phillips fan i was kind of surprised to see this coming from him um but yeah i think it's important it's relevant and fuck the haters joaquin phoenix was amazing and i know i'm biased but i thought he was great and uh that's what i have to say about that (laughs) Well, I'm glad you liked it, and I'm glad that your opinion changed actually after watching it, <laughs> and that you didn't just, you know, let um, other people's comments on fucking social media influence you. Well, so again, like I said, though, I don't pat know yourself when on the back, Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when I want to watch it again, though. You don't have to watch it again. The, the fact is, you watched it. 
I had to gear up for it. And so. you had to eat a little crow, so. <laughs> All right. I'll admit it, but yes. All right. So now let's turn beat around. Yeah, and we're going to talk about more positive stuff. <laughs> like more horror. Like more horror. But we're, we're getting away from the whole uh, political discussion here. And we're just going to be talking about some of the uh, 2020 horror movies that we have watched thus far. Yes, we are. Starting with After Midnight. No spoilers. No. These are going to be quick. <laughs> All I have to say without giving anything away about At Midnight is... I enjoyed After it. After midnight. Oh, sorry. Are you, t- are you talking about the uh, the game show on Comedy Central at midnight? Oh, shit. Oh, I forgot about that show. That show used to be good. I used to like that. All right. After midnight. So all I'm going to say without giving anything away is I enjoyed it. I thought the acting was really good. It was well produced for an independent film, basically meaning it didn't look shitty. Yeah. Um, And I will never listen to the song Stay by Lisa Loeb ever again without thinking of this movie (laughs) i literally have written all my only comment about after midnight was after midnight had me with lisa loeb (laughs) did you like it i loved it um i i at first was kind of iffy because um obviously you know good horror movies or movies in general don't lay out their hands you know right from the beginning so like you had to build to see what was going to happen but by the end of it i was quite delighted it's it was fun and i yes just watch it so i saw come to daddy did you watch that one i did not uh no i love elijah wood but i did not really care for this movie too much um i actually kind of need to watch it again though i think so if you want to watch it i'll watch it with you but i was really tired when i watched it so i don't think i was fully paying attention so I don't have too much to say about it, but I did take some notes with the intent to discuss the film, but I don't really understand my notes. Oh, but read them. Oh, I'm going to. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to read my notes and I'm going to let you all decide if you would watch this movie based on what I wrote. Excellent. First note, they say cunt a lot. All right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's whatever. I, that may do it for some people. That might turn some people off. Um, I wrote, this is my second note. The first death is by saran wrap and crotch stabbing. Yeah, I'm in. Um, Third note, poop pens? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> Wait, how is that spelled? Like like you think. Two, two, two words. Two words. Poo and then pens. Do you not remember that? I remember a scene involving a pen with poo on it. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I thought you meant like I, de- depends, but spe- specifically oh, for poops. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, that's what depends are for. Well. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember why there was poo on the pen. Okay. Do Maybe you, we'll yeah. have to watch it and see why. Maybe I will watch it now. Um, and pretty violent and gory is my last oh, note. Oh, yeah. So. Okay. You know. Well, you had me at poop pen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if someone just said, hey, poo pens and crotch stabbing. I mean. Cunts. <laughs> I'd be like. Uh, Are we talking about Black Christmas again? No. no I'm kidding. I enjoyed the movie. It's um, it's definitely weird. I mean, there's some really weird parts, but there's also a lot of just really kind of quirky, funny parts, too, which I really appreciated. Uh, so it's a good mixture of funny and 
I don't know if I would call it horror exactly, mm-hmm. but definitely in that vein. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun, interesting movie, and you have to um, what what's the phrase? Not give it the benefit of the doubt, but um, suspend your disbelief. Yeah, you you have to suspend some disbelief because there's some weird shit that happens, but it's fun. Well, I didn't watch it because I think to buy it, it was like nine bucks and to rent it, it was like seven. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch scary movies or scary stories to tell in the dark because I hadn't seen that from last year because yeah. it's cheaper rental. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it again if it comes out on like Shutter or something. Yeah. But I think we paid $7 to rent it because I'm like, well, it's cheaper than going to the theater. But yeah, true. And two of us watched it. Yeah. So I'm not going to pay but another I'll, $7. If you do rewatch it, like however you do I will watch it with you we can split the cost (laughs) yeah or we could do that yeah all right so the next movie we watched is VFW yeah baby um this is directed by Joe Bagos who also directed Bliss which we also just watched Mm -hmm. even though that came out last year we're gonna mention it um briefly after we talk about this so this is basically a grindhouse-esque film about war veterans who must defend their local vfw post and a teen who stole millions of dollars of a street drug called hype from a deranged drug dealer and his army of drugged out zombies she did it to seek revenge on them for the death of her sister and that that tells a lot actually yeah but that basically sums up the story in like the first 10 minutes (laughs) yeah well sharon sent me a text that just said just watched VFW, I think. And I, it was totally out of context. And so I was like, what are you talking about? Because I <laughs> thought you meant you like, what, like went to a VFW and like sat there. And then you were like, we talked about this. Don't you remember? And I was like, oh, the movie. So, oops. And yeah. so then I went on to watch it. And I also did what you did. I just wrote down my observations as I watched it. So we can go back and forth. So what did you think? I fucking loved it. I fucking loved it. It's, it, yeah, I well, okay, I actually have to say that um, I know we said no more politics, but just uh, in terms of the argument about gun control, these are the guy, the kind of guys that are in the VFW are the they're vets and they're the one obviously. And I have absolutely no problem with those guys having guns because they are obviously able to handle their weapons and they are so fucking badass Mm -hmm. um and let's just mention the cast really quick uh steven lang william sadler martin cove david patrick kelly who likes to smoke pot a lot clearly (laughs) he's he's basically uh jerry horn from season three of twin peaks in this movie as well yeah uh fred williamson and also george went who basically is norm but with a gun <laughs> norm with a gun and he's also in bliss which we'll get to but yes the cat those guys like i wanted to hang out at the vfw and, and drink with those guys a i really really like the relationship between all of them and their banter it felt like really real to me yeah for sure not even 10 minutes into the the movie uh i wrote down the comment machete to the head not 10 minutes in already living up to the hype which hype was the drug that Sharon mentioned? Lame joke, but uh, <laughs> I will say... But the movie's not lame. Without say, bullying too much, this is the kind of movie that knows how to use gratuitous violence mm-hmm. in like the best way possible. It's extremely bloody, gory, and violent, but it's also very dark and gritty, so it yes. subdued a lot of like the blood and guts, so there's a lot of times where you know that 
you know someone's face is getting totally like fucked up <laughs> you can't tell like exactly what's going on yeah there were a few fight mo- scenes that i was like i couldn't tell who's smacking who but mm-hmm. then you'd see somebody's head just got get like ripped open at, with like splurt blood splatter everywhere. it was awesome yeah so um we totally recommend watching vfw that's probably my favorite uh movie of the year so far as far as like 2020 horror movies and don't get it confused with uhf <laughs> which is no. also a good movie but very different um also i know that we talked about this being you know a recent movie but i actually wrote down again wait this was made in 2019 hilarious because it does have that like retro look and feel to it and then i wrote also what's ty west up to these days because <laughs> we haven't heard much from him but uh it reminded me in that way that the look and feel of it reminded me of, of 70s 80s horror but well, plus i mean it does take place today i think but also the fact that none of them were using cell phones like partway yeah. through the movie i was like why don't they just use a cell yes. phone and call for help or you call the cops or whatever? But I kind of liked that even though it took place today, they didn't use any of the technology of today, which made it feel more like it was from like seventies or eighties. And so. the gang member like guys, I guess they all looked very eighties. Yeah. Like punk gang, punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was going to say something else, but I won't just watch it. Honestly, you, it's a good, I thought it, I would say, even though I was sad, at times for stuff but because i loved i just loved the main character so much it was a blast yeah so very fun so then sharon told me this was the same director did the movie bliss which is on shutter mm-hmm. so as soon literally as soon as uh <laughs> i almost said U- uhf as well vfw's ended i immediately went to shutter and watched bliss this is an interesting movie it's very different from vfw there are, are certain movies that attempt to like do a scene where like somebody's tripping and they make this movie. I feel like, again, without saying too much, they, they nail it. They, there's drugs, like drug use and stuff throughout the film. And like there was a moment watching it where I literally had to like look away from my television um, because I literally kind of felt like I was tripping. Yeah, well, there's a lot of a lot of it was shot with handheld cameras, oh. a lot of tight close-up shots of the actors' faces, 360-degree shots, strobe lights, metal music. I mean, it all kind of just make you feel. And there was even a warning before the movie, which I was like, that oh, if you're shit, yeah. sensitive to strobe lights, you know, <laughs> you might have a seizure if you watch this. So this be movie careful. is so bad shit. You might have a seizure. Yeah, I liked it. I I definitely didn't like it as much as um I liked VFW. Yeah. Um I will say I'm not sure. so basically if you haven't seen Bliss, it's about a brilliant painter who's facing a creative block. Um this is from IMDb. They kind of sum it up nicely. And she starts, you know, taking this drug to try and complete her masterpiece and spiraling into this hallucinatory hellscape of like drugs and sex and murder and one thing that I noticed, I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but I f- found like a lot of references to Dante's Inferno. Uh, basically, limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, anger, violence, and treachery are some of the um, nine circles of hell um, in Dante's and you know Dante's nine circles of hell. And there is actually a character in the movie named Dante. Mm-hmm. So. 
Interesting. I'm just saying. On the nose a little. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah. But anyways, it was good. Check it out. It's definitely an experience, I feel like, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not really... I mean, it's a movie, but it's an experience. And yeah. And I mean, if it's... They say sex sells. There's a pretty gratuitous sex scene pretty early on. So if that's your thing, (laughs) you won't be disappointed. (laughs) All right. So now we have some... 2020 horror movies that are going to be coming out uh this year obviously 2020 uh but we had two previous episodes where we went through a huge list of 2020 horror movies these were not on that list so we're going to cover them now the first movie is swallow and these are going to be in order of when they're released so this comes out march 6th it stars Haley bennett as hunter a prim newlywed whose domestic malaise sends her to start eating things to break up her dull routine in her pre-planned life and we don't just mean soft things we mean batteries marbles thumbtacks and more Uh, but trying to digest sharp objects is a bad idea and when hunter's secret addiction is discovered she has either confront the roots of her compulsion or bury herself behind the guise of a pretty housewife so i don't know if you've seen this um this tweet it's become viral (laughs) but Uh when i was reading the the plot of this movie it reminded me of this tweet which i'm gonna read now so this person wrote i forgot who tweeted this i'm sorry but their tweet was i just watched a woman drink laundry detergent at work today bottle to mouth in the aisle i said nothing but when we made eye contact she just gasped and was like i'm gonna buy it bitch i'm not worried about you buying it what the fuck are you doing (laughs) isn't there a show like my strange addiction or something that's what i was thinking of too but wow that's pretty funny and ew thumbtacks gross all right uh the next movie we're going to talk about is called the vast of night uh it's being released on march 13th it's about an alien presence in small town america the cinematography is supposed to be gorgeous and the art direction supposedly places it in the category of the most stunning horror films wow uh the movie has the feel of a twilight zone episode hell yeah a teenage phone operator and a local radio dj in 1950s new mexico set out to solve the mystery of a strange frequency that's invading the airwaves in their town after playing festivals through the end of last year amazon will release vast of night sometime this year so that's sweet uh see also part eight of david lynch's groundbreaking (laughs) third season of twin peaks that's exactly what i was thinking of as you were reading that i was like sounds just like part eight of (laughs) season three of twin peaks got a light exactly all right so now we have the hunt which comes out march 13th 12 strangers wake up in a clearing they don't know where they are or how they got there they don't know they've been chosen for a specific purpose the hunt Mm -hmm. starring my girl crush betty gilpin Mm -hmm. and it also has glenn howerton from it's always sunny so awesome sauce yeah there's been a lot of buzz about this and i think i really want to go see it when it comes out in the theaters yeah uh, next up is um, Vivarium. Probably. Go- That's what I, I, how I think it's Sure. Called. Vivarium. Yeah, mm-hmm. Vivarium. Sounds right. Uh, coming out March 27th. Uh, coming at you March 27th. I don't know why I said that. A young couple is thinking about buying their starter home. And to this end, they visit a real estate agency where they are received by a strange sales agent who accompanies them to a new, mysterious, peculiar housing development to show them a single family home. 
There, they get trapped in a surreal, maze-like nightmare. By the way, a vivarium is typically an enclosed area used for raising and observing plants or animals. Uh, So I'm picturing season one of the OA. (laughs) But anyway, I'm in. That sounds kind of cool. I actually saw a trailer for this. It looks kind of interesting. Hmm. All right. What's next, Sharon? What is next? It is Escape Room 2, which comes out April 17th. The two heroes from the first film successfully, well, spoiler. (laughs) I know. I was like, I haven't seen Escape Room 1. I haven't seen either, but actually I've been hearing from a lot of people that it's really good. So I think, um, put it on the list, put Put it on the list. list. But somebody's got to survive usually. Uh, Usually. So the two heroes from the first film successfully completed the deadly escape room and finished the movie vowing vengeance on the people who entrap them and that's all i'm gonna say all right uh well next we have promising young woman uh which is scheduled for an april 17th release uh (laughs) this is a rape and revenge movie starring carrie mulligan oh i love me some rape and revenge movies that's your favorite yeah um but i do love me some carrie mulligan um she plays cassandra a woman who plays vulnerable out at bars to see which shitty men fall for mm-hmm. her honey trap or uh, honey pot, as Sterling Archer would say. I'm not sure which phrase is correct, but we'll go with both phrasing. Um, they insist they're nice guys, in, in air quotes, but Cassandra knows better, and she's out to make them pay. A former pre-med student who had to drop out after a traumatic incident, the movie will explore what happened to this once promising young woman surrounded by bad, bad men and what she's doing to take out the trash. Uh, my initial reaction was, huh. But it does sound interesting. And I don't like the rape, but I like the revenge. So I, I like the mulligan. So there we go. Fear Street, June 5th. Lee Janiak, director of Mindy's favorite movie, Honeymoon. Yay! <laughs> she hates that movie. Um, so she is directing all three films in this planned trilogy adapted from the R.L. Stein book of the same name. The first film will be set in 1994, and it follows a group of teens who learn that their town has a history of terrible interconnected events that have been playing out for centuries. The other installments take place in 1978, and... 1666 that can't be right it maybe maybe if it's been happening for decades or centuries or whatever and then circle back to 1994 that's actually pretty interesting Hmm, very interesting so the fox project was originally meant to see each of the three films released in successive months but under disney ownership it's unclear if that strategy is still in place regardless fear street chapter one comes out this summer Next up, we have The Witches, uh, scheduled for uh, October 9th release. This version will be directed by Robert Zemeckis. It is his interpretation of the 1973 Roald Dahl book of the same name, starring Anne Hathaway in the role of Grand High Witch, also starring Octavia Spencer, Chris Rock, and Stanley Tucci. Hell yeah. The story tells the scary, funny, and imaginative tale of a seven-year-old boy who has a run-in with some real-life witches. The cast sounds impressive, but ain't no one gonna outwitch Angelica Houston, who was in the first movie. <laughs> Just saying. But yeah, sweet. That's interesting. I loved that book as a kid. I know. I did, too. So. And I like I kind of liked the movie, too. So I'm interested to see the new one. Now. God, I saw that movie so long ago. I don't remember if I liked it or not, but I'm sure I did. Rewatch. All right. 
Um, next, we have Blood Quantum, which comes out October 19th. Migma filmmaker, Migma being the name for indigenous people who are among the original inhabitants of the Atlantic provinces of Canada. Mm. And I did do a Google search to try and pronounce that correctly because it's spelled M-I apostrophe G-M-A-Q. Yeah, I never would have gotten that. Yeah, I did not want to mess that up. So if I said that wrong, blame the website. (laughs) But also please tell us how to properly say it. (laughs) Exactly. But I hope I pronounced it right. So Mi'kmaq filmmaker... Jeff Barnaby, who wrote and directed this film about a First Nations tribe, his own, in fact, dealing with a siege of the undead of their Red Crow Reserve. The Mi'kmaq, however, are immune to whatever is causing the zombie contagion, which means they have to fend off a bunch of white walking dead. Quantum will arrive on Shutter later this year. I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds great. And original, and yeah, I'm like... We've mentioned in the past, loving all these new concepts for uh, zombie movies. Yeah, exactly. Next up, we have The Other Lamb, a release date uh, TBD. Uh, it was released at film festi- film festivals around the world last year, but na- has no official U.S. release date as of, yet, as of right now. Uh, the story centers on an isolated religious community called The Flock, uh, that is made up of all female subordinates with one male leader. Yikes. Uh, when a member named Sela, I'm going to go with, S-E-L-A-H, uh, participates in the, quote, sacred ritual of the birthing of the lambs, unquote, <laughs> uh, it leads to a, quote, transformative experience that will probably be pretty frightening. I have no idea. Mm. I'm going to play it by ear, but interesting. <laughs> So the rest of these movies are TBD to be determined. So sorry, we don't have release dates on these. When we get them, we might let you know. Who knows? <laughs> but here's, here's what's coming because there's some exciting. Or look stuff, it up I yourselves, people. All right, the platform. It premiered at International Film Fest last year, but no U.S. release at this time. This is a Spanish film set in a vertical prison where inmates live two to a cell, and they can only get to eat when a platform passes through their level and pauses for two minutes while they feast. The horror of it all is that the table starts full at the top, and those near the bottom only get to eat what is left by the end. That sounds really unique. Mm, Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. It, it honestly, it kind of reminds me of Snowpiercer, but I was gonna say right, <laughs> but you know, vertical instead of horizontal. Exactly. Weird. All right. All right. Next up, uh, I'm I'm interested actually in this one. Um, uh, there's going to be a remake of the film Rebecca, uh, also TBD on the release date. This is an adaptation of the Gothic horror classic uh, by Daphne. I always would say Demur. Demure. Demarie. Demarie. I cannot, I have a hard time pronouncing shit. Um, but her, based on uh, Daphne, I'm going to go with her novel, also named Rebecca from 1938, which if you've not read it, it's amazing. Um, 
Arnie Hammer stars as Maxim D. Winter with Lily James playing his new bride. It's only after the newlywed couple arrive at his massive country estate that his new bride realizes how large a shadow his late wife will cast over their lives, presenting her with a lingering evil that threatens to destroy their marriage from beyond the grave. Uh, Rebecca will debut on Netflix. Um, I love this book, like I said, and the Hitchcock original version. So I'm definitely curious about this. And uh, any excuse to reread that book, really, I'll take. So I might do a reread. But yeah, that hmm. word up. I never heard of the Hitchcock. Is it called Rebecca? Yeah. Huh. To which my mom always makes the joke from the movie Airheads. Oh, they made a book about that? I'll take the book. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have coming up next sea fever released at film festivals around the world last year but no official u.s release as of now this film comes from ireland the crew of a west ireland trawler marooned at sea struggle for their lives against a growing parasite in their water supply sea fever is expected to drop sometime this spring and lastly, on this list, for now at least. We I'm ha- excited about this one, Mitty. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Untitled Body Swap Thriller Horror, a comedy from uh, Blum- Blumhouse, uh, starring Vince Vaughn. That is a very long name for a film. <laughs> is that really the name? No. <laughs> I know. I was kidding. No, you but weren't. that would be amazing. No, you weren't. I kind of think that someone should make a movie like that. But yeah, I just... It's very descriptive. That would be fun if they go with it. Blumhouse, we want you to consider actually calling your film Untitled Body Swap Thriller I mean, Horror Comedy from Blumhouse. We would. I, I'm already in. Starring Vince Vaughn. Yeah, the whole All, title. The whole title. <laughs> um, the story revolves around the surprise body swapping of a large male serial killer and a petite teenage girl. Vaughn is the murderer chariot terrorizing a small town and uh Catherine newton plays the introverted high school student meaning you actually get to see him play an adolescent girl while she's a hardened sociopath on a killing spree uh the bloomhouse title should arrive sometime in the second half of the year i am so into this that sounds awesome and vince vaughn as a serial killer if you have not seen oh Sorry, I know you're going to say. I just was very excited. Oh, Clay Pigeon. <laughs> I oh, like, totally blanked on that I for should, a fucking so, second. I'm sorry. If you have not seen Clay Pigeons, watch Clay Pigeons, also starring Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. It, that's such a good movie. And Janine Garofalo. It's hilarious. It's fun. Awesome. It's but he's so a, good. He's a good creepy guy for sure. Very, like, a very good great. creepy guy. I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah. Oh, and he, he also played Norman Bates. In Gus Van yeah. Sant's remake, I know he, but... but he does creepy. Yeah, he does creepy very well. Very He's a good well. actor. I have a couple updated uh, release dates for the movies that you just mentioned. Uh-oh. <clears throat> uh, the Vast of Night, supposedly May 29th. That's okay. what IMDb says. Uh, Escape Room Two, supposedly November 30th. Oh. Got pushed back. Uh, and then I think Fear. No, I think that's it. Proceed. I think that's it for our movies. That. Yeah, that so was a th- lot to talk about. It was a lot to talk about. This is our first hodgepodge episode, and we will be doing more hodgepodge episodes. So we hope you liked it. You know, there's a lot of news coming out about uh, the horror genre, and, and we have lots of opinions. 
Yeah. So there's so, a there's a YouTube channel called Upcoming Horror Movies or Horror Film, something like that, and they just release trailers all the time. And there's I mean there's a ton of movies that are coming out. On trailers. I was gonna say no, no, but for the for the yeah. for the folks who are listening, if you want to see more about what's coming out and you want you want to actually watch the trailers, yeah. um, there's a lot. Yeah, we will not be watching that YouTube channel, but everyone there you go um i want to really quickly um honorable mention side note this is not really horror related at all but um i just wanted to say a quick farewell to the show bojack horseman which is a netflix original um if you've not watched it it is one of my favorite shows maybe ever and it just ended um and to sum it up there, I'm going to quote a tweet from singer-songwriter Jenny Owen Youngs that she posted like a week or two ago that said, In the days since I finished watching the final se- final episodes of BoJack Horseman, I have not stopped thinking about it. Specifically, I keep thinking that I feel lucky to be alive to experience this particular work of art in real time. And I couldn't agree with her more. You can actually hear Jenny's song Wake Up off her album, An Unwavering Band of Light, play out uh, the season four finale of the show. She's amazing. But thank you to all of you artists that made this possible, voice actors, animators, writers, directors. I am beyond grateful for your time and talents that brought this show into existence who would have guessed a show about a washed up TV star who's half man, half horse would become the best show to ever encapsulate the human condition. But here we are. So thank you. I know. I know. I have to watch it. It's intense. Stop looking though. at me. It's it cuts to the chase, man. Like it cuts literally to e- yeah, right each through your season, soul. Each season gets more and more interesting and emotional, uh, you know, with like ridiculous comedy jokes like thrown in there at the same time and will arnett is a national treasure the voice work that he does that they all do but he this they do an entire episode that is silent well there's no speaking of any of the characters and due to how he characterizes the show or how he characterizes the character with his voice like just through the animation alone we we can get a full idea of like what bojack's thinking and feeling and it's just but it's it's relevant and it's it's witty and it's it's funny and it's it's savage in terms of like it's commentary on hollywood and pop culture and it's yeah it deals with a lot and it literally is one of the best representations of the human condition i have ever seen ever and it's an with an animal and it's animated yep exactly brilliant all right don't tell me to wrap it up Anyway, love you, Bojack. My bladder's going to explode if you don't wrap it up, bitch. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this week. And um, please uh, go on iTunes or wherever you listen to us and rate and review us. Uh, Help us grow. We love doing this. It's so much fun. Um, And continue sending us scary stories uh any ideas you want us to talk about uh, movies we should check out shows we should check out of any true crime violence horror whatever or if you just want to say hi or if you want to say we love yeah we'll we'll say hi back we love it um so i think that's it and uh in closing to quote sarah lynn from bojack horseman suck a dick dumb shits (laughs) now i definitely need to watch this show all right And as always, thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy with us. us.
Sharon, do you want a beer? Uh, oh my God. 